Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Research is a great place to work and John Hopkins University have partnered on a study that reveals key insights in promoting employee well-being. In total, they surveyed over 14,000 people from 37 countries to better understand factors in the average worker's day-to-day experience that contributes to employee well-being in the workplace. And to talk about the results of this survey and the current state of play in employee experience is the wonderful Fanny Stoney, CEO and co-founder at Healthy Place to Work Ireland and consultant at Great Place to Work Ireland. Thanks for joining us, Fanny. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Thanks for having us on. And Mary, lovely to be here. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks and delighted to meet you, Fanny Ann, and have you here today. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's so let's jump right in. So I suppose, Fanny, can you talk to us about some of the key findings from this, this big survey? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, we, we kind of always keep an eye on, on kind of these global studies and, and what they're telling us and, and what's coming out. And, and it was a big one, right? So um, and it was great to see the guys in, in Great Place Work teaming up with John Hopkins to, to do this. Um, and we were really struck by, I suppose, kind of five key elements that, that we saw in here. And I think it's probably worth taking taking me through them and then we can kind of think about the wider context of what that means in, in the Irish setting. Um, and the one that like, I almost would say depressed me, right, is that. 42% of people who responded don't find meaning in their work, right? Um, and then 37 of them feel that their work doesn't make a difference. Um, and I guess in, in our kind of, with my healthy place to work hat on, like purpose is such a key element of people feeling engaged and turning up and buzzed up and, and, and healthy in their work environment. And um, so we really wanted to kind of investigate that one a bit more and kind of get in underneath the, the hood of that. Um, You've got to take, I suppose, the context of these setting or these results in the setting of a, of a post-pandemic environment where expectations have absolutely shifted. Um, so you're kind of seeing globally that 52% feel that they're encouraged to balance their work and personal life. And that actually dips to below 50, so 49% in Ireland. Um, so less than half people feeling that they're getting a decent amount of, of work-life balance kind of uh, across the study. Um, when we were looking at the relationships and connections piece, um, we just saw this kind of pervasive lack of both personal connection, but then also psychological safety. And um, so 43% believe in their co-workers don't care for each other. And um, 35% feeling that they don't feel that they can be themselves at work. So that's, you know, over a third of people kind of not turning up and, and being who they are. Um, and then this, the, the kind of the one in four feeling lonely. And I think that's probably been aggravated by, by a, you know, a more virtual world and all that kind of piece, which is kind of understandable in one setting. But then when you see, again, this kind of third feeling that they that they don't belong, um, that shouldn't have an impact on whether you're doing it virtually or together or whatever that might be. So kind of a, a couple of couple of big pieces in there. And when you zoom back out and look at the kind of overall piece, um, they're talking about uh, only 45% of Irish respondents feeling that they're part of a psychologically and emotionally health based work. Um, and that lags behind the global response of, of 55%, right? So some pretty stark results in there. Um, and I think it's, it's worth 
you know, putting the qualifier in there, which is um, this is part of the global study and wouldn't be necessarily representing the organizations that we're working with, but this is the state of play in Ireland right now, right? Um, in this post-pandemic environment, um, people generally are not engaging in purpose-driven work and they don't feel like, or half people don't feel like they're getting a good balance between their work life and their personal life. Uh, they're lacking a bit of personal connection and that kind of ability to unlock who they truly are. Um, and again, only half people really kind of turning up and believing they're part of a, of a healthy place to work or perceiving they're part of a healthy place to work. So it really spurred us on to put a response out to this um, and to figure out, okay, so given this is where the context is, how can we help organizations? How can we support organizations? And how can we kind of drive an overall better experience for people across the island of Ireland? So that was kind of where, where we went with that. Yeah, 100%. I think it's kind of, I suppose, the interesting thing for me when I read through it, Vinny, is it how, it's how it touches on so many different things as well, different kind of aspects. So I suppose when we kind of talk about well-being at work, employee experience, I suppose from your own experience, what are the key aspects of both those things that kind of make up, let's say, well-being at work, employee experience? Yeah, definitely. So we've we've defined a healthy person as one who has the ability to flourish at work and beyond, right? So we're, we, from the get-go, from when we founded Healthy Place Work, we know that this idea of you turn off your work self and you turn on your home self, like that's, that's gone. Right. Um, and even it's funny, even looking at the wording around work-life balance and you, you see even that beginning to, to, to come on now. So people talking about blend and fit and like different ways of, of doing that. Um, but this idea that if you're, if you're flourishing at work, the rest should follow in with you, right? And you should be able to kind of like best contribute to, 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 to yourself overall. And then a healthy organization is one that allows people to sustainably deliver on its objectives. So we really wanted to look at how people can deliver their best work in the best way for the long term, right? So this isn't about a one hit wonder or doing something in the short term. This is actually about thinking about your um, experience of work and your long-term experience of work in a sustainable way and kind of being able to build in those rest and recovery mechanisms as well. Um, and so we went out into the into the secondary research and had a look at all the kind of various things that are having an impact on people's health and well-being at work. And like 95% of people, when they see the Health Place to Work brand, think, Asher, that's probably about, you know, the guys running the 5K and, you know, the, you know the, the world of fruit baskets and all that kind of stuff. And absolutely, look, all of those things are having an impact, right? But we wanted to get more into kind of a fundamental level and think, okay, so what are all the various aspects and how do we measure for that, right? So like, how would we actually put the measures in there? And we very much decided from the get-go, we're going to stand on the shoulders of giants, right? So we're going to we're going to go to all the research that's already out there, look at that evidence base, and then try attempt to kind of bring all that together into, into a model um, and look at, you know, the various aspects from a personal and an organizational perspective, which correlate to excellent health outcomes for people. Um, and it kind of centered around these, these four main pillars. And, you know, it made sense that those pillars made up um, kind of our, our model. Um, and the first, and it's, it's why I would have led with the, the data around the purpose uh, piece at, at the outset, um, but is purpose. And we're looking at the alignment between what somebody, any individual person wants to achieve and where the organization is going and how the person fits into that, right? Um, and I suppose what we're measuring for in there is the clarity that anybody has around, you know, their own life purpose, the gratitude that they have for their talents, and that they can see how that fits in the organization and where the organization is going and what it's trying to achieve. So there's a lovely kind of marrying of, of across all the things. Now, we don't want a perfect overlap, right? So, you know, we want some stretch and some challenge in there as well. And, you know, for people to be able to still have the space to figure that out and to grow. Um, but that 
from an overall perspective, we're all trying to achieve the same things. And we're in an environment where I can best achieve that with people like, you know, I want to get on with. So that's what we're kind of looking at from, from a purpose perspective. The second then is, is the mental resilience piece, right? And again, mental resilience has become a bit buzzwordy over the last couple of years. You know, we're all resilient in the face of the pandemic. Um, but I suppose to give it its most um, accessible definition, we talk about it's an individual's belief that they are capable and equipped to give their best work. Right. Like that's it at, at, at its most basic. Um, and we kind of measure for somebody's ability to or their capacity and energy to work at a high level and um, how capable they feel around uh, managing their own career path, uh, making good decisions around uh, their job, their health, uh, how capable they are to adapt in the face of change, in face of organizational change. Um, and then this key piece, which we've really seen as a, as, a, as a core challenge for organizations, is how do you move from awareness to action, right? So I'd say, and we can see it from our data, most people are very aware of what they should be doing, right? Like we all know we should be out there. We should be investing in ourselves. We should be, you know, getting our learning going. We should be doing all of that. But we're also very busy. We have a job to do and we're trying to manage kids. And we're trying to do like the 57 other things on the to-do list. So how is it that somebody can unlock that awareness and actually kind of spur, spur people on into action? Um, the third one then is, is connection. Um, and look, it's our, we measure how well a range of relationships are working across the organization. So relationships people have with their media peers, relationships with their managers, um, their sense of belonging to the organization overall. So that kind of, you know, we look at that kind of DNI piece and how all of that works um, and how emotionally connected somebody feels and therefore how safe they feel to unlock who they are and, you know, give across their best talents and all that kind of good stuff around loyalty, discretionary effort, commitment, you know, people can only do that when they feel they can turn up and be who they are, right? Um, so we really want to be able to kind of give organizations a measure around where people are on that. And then the final piece of the model, which is, again, like I said, where most people's heads go, we also look at the physical health piece, right? So um, we look at a range of measures on diet, fitness, um, but then also pieces around recovery and rest. So again, building back into that sustainability piece, if you want your people in an organization to sustainably deliver in the long, into the long term, we've got to be able to build in those rest and recovery mechanisms, right? Um, and I guess it's been great to see this kind of influx and I'm sure it's across your own LinkedIn feeds of you know global shutdown weeks and rest days and all that kind of stuff right so I think it's becoming a more acceptable thing generally in the narrative and I suppose we really want to equip organizations to know okay well are people starting work refresh most days like are they feeling like they're giving that chance to, to press pause to reflect on be it project or work's done or you know are we celebrating success are we assessing failure is it safe to be able to do that and then how are we building that into to, to the kind of the long-term um, overall direction of the organization so those are the kind of four key aspects that that we've chosen to look at I know there's quite a lot in there and it encompasses quite a lot um but we've seen kind of through working with organizations that it gives people a lot of a lot of uh, data to get their teeth into and to drive kind of various elements um, and to look at that wider investment that organizations are making in that health and well-being space that's intrinsically linked to, to the kind of engagement space. Absolutely. And I think, Marianne, I think I know the, the answer to this question, but I suppose when we talk about employee well-being, healthy place to work, um, employee experience, Mary, why does it matter? I suppose what are the benefits that organizations the organizations that do put time and effort into this what kind of benefits do they get out of it it's a really good question own because you know in a in a climate now where hr 
people and the, the people profession are scrambling for talent, trying to compete with um, each other, trying to compete with in Ireland, trying to compete with global companies as well. Um, the more that an organization has to offer in this particular area, um, the more attractive the organization is to potential candidates and to those who work in the organization already. So there's a really good reason to do it, which is, you know, keeping your staff attracting, attraction and retention. Um, and apart from all of that, you know, it's time that organizations looked after their people. We've been talking about it for a very long time uh, in HR, but the pandemic accelerated that in a way that, you know, most people in the people profession would agree, you know, they were hammering at doors uh, at the executive table, trying to get budget for health and well-being and for uh, health and well-being initiatives and, and struggling to get the budget. Now, I do see a bit of a slip um, post-pandemic. Uh, and, and I say post-pandemic, although I'm really conscious that for many people, you know, COVID is out there, people are still afraid, um, people are still getting sick. And, you know, we talk about this post-pandemic world, but there are, I suppose, limitations from an organisational perspective and what they can do in bringing people together and how they bring people together still. Um, and, I think the well-being agenda and that sense of purpose, you hear so many people talking about being disconnected and not belonging now. And I think some of that is around um, what organizations are actually doing. What are they doing around technology? And we had, we had we've done a great uh, podcast with Chris Flack, um, which will have aired by the time this podcast airs as well. Um, around digital resilience and time out and uh, how organizations use their tech um, and, you know, what about the in-person um, meetings and involvement and what are we actually doing when we're bringing people back into the offices, um, whether that's a hybrid model or fully remote models or in-person models, you know, what are we actually doing uh, around these things? Always we used, you know, the fruit bowls and the healthy snacks and, um, you know, the sports and social events, you know, to, I suppose, connect people, bring them together, look at health and bring in some of those things there. And a lot of those things aren't operating in the same way anymore. So it is a new world. And we've got to look at new ways of doing things and new ways of communicating with people and training our managers so that, you know, they're the people that are that you're going to mainly interact with when you're at work. And so often that relationship is not right. And that in itself causes stress, distress um, upset. It, it has an impact on your ability to control your work-life balance, um, depending on the manager um, that you actually have and depending on their whole attitude to remote and hybrid and, and flexible working. Um, so all of those things have kind of converged together and made for a really interesting 
melting pot out there right now. And a lot of people are looking for something more. Um, but I don't know whether they're clear in their own head, even what that might be. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that one, Mary. And I think also for the younger generation coming in, always makes me feel really old with the younger generation. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but I actually think there's a massive disservice in this, you know, find what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Like work is hard. Like let's not pretend it's this like we turn up and we all love it every day and you're like, oh, grand, right? So there's even the word purpose, I think, gets conflated with this, you know, idealized version of work which detracts from the fact that actually if you want to stretch and be challenged and grow and learn work's going to be difficult and that's okay right and and maybe you've got to figure out a bit about under the the parameters and the value set under which you want to operate in that way you know so it's there's so much um and there's so much coming together and the other piece I was going to pick up there which I think you're spot on is the role of the, the manager or the leader right so we saw it for the number of organizations that we worked with in a couple of different ways, kind of over the course of the last, you know, the pandemic experience, let's say, which is managers who were excellent in person were terrible digital leaders because they just missed that in-person people chat, right? So, you know, we worked with one organization and, and the struggle that they were having is the type of performance management conversation we're having to have now is very different. People have a lot going on personally that's very different now, right? So maybe they've got elderly parents that they're trying to keep safe from the pandemic or they suddenly got their kids at home or uh, we've got a young recruit whose only quiet place to have a call is in the bathroom of their flat chair. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it was such, you know, they were being hit with such kind of mega issues that way. And they themselves felt diminished in their roles because they weren't being able to build that personal connection with their teams because it wasn't happening in a digital sphere. And I think somebody put it really eloquently when they said, virtual and virtual technology and you know all of our communication platforms and like look at us today right being able to record a zoom podcast or a podcast over zoom from like multiple different corners of, of of ireland has absolutely helped the logistic efficiency of communication right but it hasn't helped the kind of psychological and personal connections that people can make because you actually do need to be able to do a lot of that in person so i think you know you've, you've hit the nail on the head in that there's a big challenge in how we do this and I hate the word new normal, but the new normal and how that's going to run and how we're all going to bring people back together and being intentional about that and thinking about that, how we equip our future leaders to be able to deliver that. And a lot of the research that we look at is telling us that when it comes to relationships, so your relationship with your manager or your leader is more important for your health than your relationship with your GP. Because actually they're the person who's, you know, chatting to you every day and kind of trying to guide you and do all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're going to have a much bigger impact on your long term health than, you know, this, somebody you might go to once a year if, if you do at all. Right. Um, and I know for some management leaders on the call, they're kind of going, oh, no, I don't want to know that. You know, that's a lot of responsibility. But that's the reality of it. And if that relationship isn't one where people feel listened to, feel connected, feel they can be who they are then it's unlikely we're going to unlock that across our, our work cells, you know. So, um, no, I think it's kind of key to be able to, to be able to draw that out. And there's been so much kind of change and development in this whole employee experience, well-being sphere over the, the number of years. Like, I mean, we go back a number of years and I think, like you said, Vanya, when people had sports and social and free fruit and those kind of basic things that was like, oh, yeah, this is a good employee experience. It's fine. And then you had, I suppose, organizations like Great Place to Work spearheading this kind of like concept of trust in work. And really getting deep on that. And now we even see with your own organization, finding you like healthy places to work and um, talking about mental resilience, all the things you spoke about. So there has been a lot of development in it. Um, and I suppose, Mary, is it time then to think about employee experience differently? I mean, so much has changed even in the past couple of years, like you said, 
is it really time to rethink this whole strategy, think about it differently and really kind of hit the nail on the head with it? I think so, Um, because you can't have fundamental shifts in how we do the work where we do the work the locations and all of that and actually not look at your culture and not look at your management development and and not develop your organization in other ways too now I do and I agree with you Fanny when you talk about um you know sense of purpose and I do think a lot of people get a bit confused by that because you know if if I work for an organization that isn't you know, saving the planet or, um, you know, working with animals or working with um, causes or, you know, helping people in some way. Well, then does that mean my organization doesn't have a purpose? And, and how am I meant to connect to that organization if the primary purpose of that organization is you know to increase shareholder value or to um you know do something that's not particularly attractive to uh employees but yet they offer great things and that sense of purpose piece can be difficult and you'll see a lot of you know large corporates that maybe aren't in the space of helping people or saving the planet but looking at, you know, giving people time off to volunteer, supporting various uh, charities and causes uh, in their communities, uh, allowing people to do more. You'll see them doing that to to try and connect with that purpose and, and that piece where people can come to work, showing up, bringing them their full self to work and and working on things that matter to them. Uh, And a lot of organizations are trying to do that, but that's not an easy piece either. Um, And, you know, if everybody else is offering that too, well, what are you competing on? And and I keep saying that on this particular podcast in, in that if we're not creative about, well, what might that purpose be for our own people? Uh, for the people that work in the organization already it's very easy to just take what's happening with a big corporate maybe and and try and copy it um but it doesn't always translate well if, if you're maybe a, a mid-sized sme um and so that that it, it requires being intentional it requires being thoughtful it requires hr people being creative um and maybe that's not part of a traditional HR skill set um, and so you know what the way in which we look at these things is important and spending the time to think about it is important it's important to know what's happening out there but what else could we do ourselves yeah and we, we kind of see it that where people are beginning to differentiate themselves is is the how right so it's like what are our shared values as an organization what does that mean for how we get things done around here um, and often even more importantly is that's how and how we don't do things. So like, you know, if we say one of our values is integrity, right? And, you know, that's one of our core pieces um, and we're a sales organization and our top seller does things in ways that we know doesn't align with their value of integrity, then why have, the, why have it as a value, right? Um, so it's as much about being able to call that out. And again, where we're seeing organizations get increasingly savvy is, okay, so here's what we're, here's our strategy, here's our mission, here's our vision, here's our values, you know, our our behaviors and our values fall out of that and our characteristics. Um, But we actually get our own people to unlock the relevancy and meaning behind that. So we have, you know, 
Mary demonstrated value X by doing Y. And Mary tells us a bit about that. You know, Owen demonstrated a different value in a different way. And we get him to tell us about that. We communicate it then turning to our own people. So we're like, oh, yeah, actually, that's such a good point. I never thought that that would have been aligned with our, you know, this value. And that's how we're driving our overall mission. And then, you know, coming back to your piece around attraction, but also or retention, but also attraction, we then build it into our employer brands, right? So we've got a really clever way to tell the um, talent market what how it is that we're different. And it's not the organization saying it, it's actually our people. And I think that's the like, they're the kind of key differences in there. The other piece, which I think I've found particularly fascinating over the last little bit is with this, you know, switch to switch to remote and all that kind of stuff. We would work with a lot of small and medium sized organizations who historically told us we can't compete. Right. So like we the big guys with their big offices and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, like how on earth do we navigate our message and our voice and all of that? Because, you know, we're never going to have the shiny add ons. And ironically, COVID kind of leveled the playing field because suddenly the office wasn't the, you know, the, the value add that somebody could bring. And people got more clued in around how stuff is done and actually in a smaller to mid size there is that slightly family feel and that's actually aligned with where I am now. Like I kind of want an organization that is more family focused or, you know, or maybe you wanted the opposite, somebody who's been a part of that, but actually now I'm ready for a bigger corporate challenge and I want to stretch and grow and, you know, do, do, do that kind of piece. So as you say, it's the interesting confluence of so many different elements. Um, and we get asked quite a lot, you know, like what, what are we predicting around what's coming up? And I don't have a clue. Right? Like I don't think anybody has any sense of certainty around what the next eighteen months are going to look like. Um, but what we're what we're kind of working with organisations on is where they can provide certainty. That's going to be really useful for people moving forward. And it is in these core elements about who we are, how we do it, how we turn up together. And like you say, Mary, being intentional around that is is where people are going to, I suppose, turn the dial um, as compared to, to other organisations. Definitely. And when, I, when you talk about, I suppose, the kind of leading organisations, and again, I say leading, I don't mean the, the big players. I mean, the, the ones that are just really good at this piece. I suppose, what are they... What are the leading organizations doing to engage their people to kind of create a healthy work environment? I suppose a lot of it, it strikes me as probably a lot of it is about that kind of authenticity and intentionality kind of piece as well, Frank, isn't it? Yeah. And look, senior senior leadership role modeling is, is always going to win out, right? So like if we talk about, you know, we absolutely want people to have work-life balance, but our senior team are, you know, sending emails at eight o'clock on a Friday evening, then like we're not living. And look, there's a schedule send button on every single email platform now. So there's no, there's no excuse for it anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, we can, we can have good stuff around that. Um, yeah, like, look, if if you want to see an organization who's doing really well and they're really open and transparent about it, it's worth going and have a look at version one, right? And what version one have been up to. We've worked version one for, I think, the last five years now at this stage from a health-based work point of view. Uh, and they've always been, I suppose, leaders in this space. And they're what they're very, very good at is marrying various elements with their expertise and bringing it together in clever and new ways so they had you know years ago they had a my well-being model that had the five pillars that was thinking different differently about well-being in the organization and they knew to tell external people about it because it was up on their career site right so they you know they've always been kind of ahead of ahead of the curve on that um, and what they've really begun to look at and actually we might you know i presume the show notes and stuff like that we can leave like a, a link to the guide so people can kind of have a look at that in in, in more detail but what they've really seen and we're seeing this kind of with other organizations, but they've been most explicit about it, which is HR has spent, I think, the last decade trying to automate. Right. So like do things at scale. How do we automate? How do we you know, do that? How do we deliver a solution that, you know, uh, people can click in at scale? 
And what they're saying is this shift back to hyper-personalization. So uh, how do we respond to individuals depending on where they are in their employee life cycle or their own personal life cycle? Um, and it's a very different way of looking at it, right? And in reaction to the pandemic, they brought together their technical expertise um, and their well-being expertise, and they built uh, this piece called WellTech. Um, and it had four pillars and it allowed every individual to kind of log on and, and, and figure out where they were. Um, and they, it's because they want to deliver this kind of best in class remote experience. Right. So it encouraged them to, to get up from their desk, to move. Um, they could get their enhanced ergonomics and lots of kind of digital tools to promote physical and physical health, mental well-being. Um, so, OK, a really, really simple one was they have a lot of people who spend a lot of time on calls during the day. And traditionally, all of their headsets were wired in. And, you know, people were then obviously like bent over their desk and being wired in. So they were like, we should just get everybody, you know, everybody should have the opportunity to have a wireless headset. And, you know, like very small tweaks that have big impact that's led by the very personal experience that people are having. Right. Um, so it's 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 kind of elements like that. So knowing where your expertise in being being able to kind of marry those things. And then the second piece that ended that is the people who will continue to differentiate themselves and. Mary, I go back to your point earlier about this thing of it falling off slightly. So like we all got very busy doing health and well-being during the pandemic because, you know, that was a big thing um, is those who have actually embedded it into their strategic approach. Right. So this isn't something that happens over there when we think about it, and when there's a bit of spare budget and we can get somebody in to speak and sure it'll all be grand. These are the organizations who are like, no, we know that we have a lot to achieve. We've you know, we, we, we want to deliver big things as an organization and to deliver those big things. We need our people to turn up in the best way possible, equipped to do their best work. So we want our approach to health and well-being to be very much sat in underneath our overall strategy as opposed to, like I said, this kind of separate piece. Um, a couple of really good examples here are the likes of BT Ireland, the IRFU. They've been, again, intentional around how do we build this in? Um, how do we, so like in the case of BT, they talk about their purpose-driven culture and, and, and that's got so many different elements, but health and well-being is, is, is a big kind of central part of that. Um, the IRFU walk in the walk, right? So <laughs> you'd expect them to have an approach to health and well-being um, and they do. And, and again, it's about matching the um, demands that are being placed on their people with the adequate supports. It's not just like, we'll just turn up and do a few things and hope that lands, right? No, it's like, no, here's the experience our people are actually having and here's what those supports are going to look like. So we like to say to organizations, this isn't about reinventing the wheel. It's probably about repurposing what you're already doing and re you know bringing that package together and just thinking a bit more strategically about it. Um, and sometimes there are a couple of things they have to build out of that. But I hope that gives you kind of a sense of, of, of where those differentiators are lying at the moment. And I think I suppose that this is kind of a doom and gloom kind of question. I think we all know the answer to it, but I suppose it's someone I'll ask you both. I might ask, ask Mary first. Um, what's the cost of low employee engagement, bad employee experience, Mary? I think it's quite obvious, but up to hear your thoughts on it. They leave usually. <laughs> uh, and right now they have choice, you know, and, and there is a cycle. There is a definite cycle, you know. So right now employees have choice and, you know, speed to get them into the organization is there. We're dispensing with a lot of, you know, assessments and tests and all of those kind of things. And, you know, it, it's a quicker process. So it's easy to 
close your laptop today in your house and open it tomorrow and be with the new employer. So not a lot is changing from the uh, employee perspective. And, you know, we're seeing more and more people looking for more flexibility and, and all of that. So the cost of 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 not thinking about people's happiness and their health and their well-being in the workplace is that they leave uh, or they stay and they're disengaged um, and they might stay for all sorts of reasons, um, you know, whether that's to do with pay or location or familiarity or whatever it is, people stay and and can be bitter and angry and um, unmotivated and, you know, not willing to do anything beyond their absolute, you know, basics in their job. Um, and that is the cost of an unhappy employee. Um, and an employee who gets sick um, leaves the organisation uh, for a period of time to recuperate and, you know, if there are things that you can do as an organization to, you know, help people tackle some of the, their, their health challenges, that's only in the organization's interest to do so. Um, so it's a pity to see it slipping um, from the agenda. And I agree with you, Fanny, it's got to be built into the organizational strategy. Um, but that feeds back in always to, you know, how aligned are is the HR function, the people function with the organization? Are they sitting somewhere separately or are they integral to achieving the strategy of the organization? And that link still uh, isn't always there, uh, either in the mind of HR people themselves sometimes, but also uh, from the executive teams, you know, that, that they some in some cases don't see the value of HR and aren't listening to the HR voice. And it's not easy. It's not easy in, in HR to be heard. Um, you know, particularly if you're coming forward, it's something that costs money um, and you're not able to articulate clearly to the executive team what the value is there um, and as I always say own part of what we like to do on this podcast is help HR people because so often it, you can't get the information and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you don't know who to speak to about these things um, and you know to have someone like Fanny out here you know with links to share and uh, information to give and an approach to take is brilliant for for people because it it gets people thinking yeah. And I mean, if you look at, I mean, the majority of times we walk into an organization, we work mostly with the HR function, right? Like that's generally where we sit. And um, we're very lucky in that we often get access up to, to present into senior teams. Um, and I think where we have really helped HR, and I'm always think this is a bit of a double-edged sword, right? But is we come with data, right? So it's not just like, let's come and have a nice conversation and, and you know, equip you with some stuff and then leave again. It's okay, no, we've gone out. We've conducted a fully confidential anonymous survey that everybody's had the chance to take part in. They've fed back in how they're actually feeling, right? So we go from maybe some water coolers to this is the actual lived experience that people are having. Um, and we can really make evidence-based decisions to kind of drive the organization forward and to actually to give HR a bit of credibility in that, right? Because it's not just oh, I think we should do this because I think it might have an impact. It's no, here we are, we've got baseline, it's benchmarked against other organizations. We can see that we've got two or three opportunity areas that we need to go after. 
and and hopefully we'll come back the next time it's like given the investment we've actually seen good traction or good good movement in in those areas and um, the reason i call it a double-edged sword is because i think it's become one of the things that HR now also need to be able to do, which is be data experts. <laughs> so, you know, like here's another string to your bow, please, uh, and make sure you can do all of that. And that's why we very much have a, a partnership approach. Like we don't kind of drop in some stuff and then to helicopter ourselves back out. Like we really pride ourselves on the on the partnership and the relationships that we're able to build with organizations and kind of to be able to deliver um over over the long term. Um the other piece that really struck me in there was this idea of okay, you lose good people. And then we retain people who maybe are having a, a negative impact on, on our work. There's a, there's actually, I think there's a middle piece in there as well, right? And, and anybody who's who's had me deliver in organizations has probably heard me talk about what I would call, I actually call it the Mary Jimmy complex. So Mary, I'm going to make you our top performer, right? In this scenario, right? And Mary's great. Like she just, she just delivers for the organization. You can give Mary anything and she's just able to get it done. She's able to get the team involved and we know it's going to get it over the line. Jimmy, like, he's been here a while, right? And, like, he's grand. Do you know what I mean? Like, he turns up, does a bit of his old work. It's fine. Like, it's fine. Um, uh, Like, you wouldn't give him the complex projects or maybe you wouldn't put him in front of a client or, you know, but but you're like, it's grand. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I'm, I'm really don't have the performance conversation, so we're just going to, like, tick along there, right? And then the next kind of couple of projects come along and I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to give those back to Mary. Like, you know, Jimmy can kind of like contribute when he wants or, you know, he may or may not interrupt that meeting. So like, you know, that's sure. That's another thing I'll give to Mary and eventually burn Mary out. Right. So what actually ends up happening is we give our best performer a whole load of work. They burn themselves out and then they leave. And then we've still got Jimmy who's just, you know, coasting along and, and we haven't had that decent conversation, you know, so it's the impact is, is across so many levels and so many layers. Um, and it's funny when he sent the, you know, the questions across, you know, like, what's the cost? I, I might, the first question I had back is, what metric do you want, right? Like, on what yeah. level do you want to measure this? Um, but I think it's really useful for, for today's piece to think about, yeah, so who do we want to retain? We're going to have churn. So let's think about regrettable losses. I really wish we hadn't lost Mary and Mary's going to be expensive to replace, right? Um, and then how do we attract the other Marys into our organization? And how are we going to compete for Mary, given that there's a very credit talent market out there? Yeah, and I don't think organizations think enough about that. You know, I, I saw something really interesting and I, I don't even know where I saw it or who said it. It was probably on LinkedIn, something I just casually uh, came across where it, the the picture was there, you know, in HR, when somebody asks for a pay increase and I speak to the line manager, I say to the line manager, give the pay increase because we're definitely not going to replace Mary. Uh, at the same price that we have Mary for right now you know the salary is probably going to go up they may Mary may want the next Mary in may want a range of uh, different benefits that we don't actually have on offer and um, the time it's going to take us to hire her train her uh, settle her into the organization and bring her up to speed because you don't necessarily bring in people that can have an immediate impact that's that's 
the desire. But right now in this kind of marketplace where, you know, a lot of organizations are now recruiting for skill rather than experience. They have no option but to do that. Um, it can take up to a year to bed somebody in it. If you don't retain that person, if you don't make that person happy, if the person feels disengaged in some way, um, then a year later, you're doing exactly the same thing all over again at a higher cost all over again. And it's a bit of a vicious cycle um, for an organization. That's not me saying that organizations need to give a pay increase every time an employee asks for it. But again, it's about looking at, you know, as you say, those key players and what are you doing to them? Because to punish uh, a hard worker and a top performer um, by overworking them is very, very common. It's very common. And, you know, when I think back on my career, you know, there's, a, there's just so many changes in terms of how work works. You know, when I started, you know, there was no going home uh, and there was no um, work-life balance. To get ahead as a young person, I knew I had to stay late, work hard, be seen, um, you know, put in the hours. And there's lots of people of my age and generation who did that um, and who, th who think that's the way, who believe that, well, that's what I did myself and it did me no harm. And I worked hard and that's why I'm where I am today. And the teams that they have under them are actually having to work like that because of maybe outdated and outmoded practices and beliefs. And I think until organizations really tackle that um, in their managers and really look at, you know, those fundamental beliefs that people have, uh, I think it, it, it's going to be hard to change that and that doesn't mean that someone shouldn't you know occasionally put in that discretionary effort but it's how much of it is expected and how much of it do we expect from our best people um if we're burning them out and exhausting them uh, and ruining their home lives uh, you know then what is the organization actually about uh, and i think there's just way too much of that still yeah, we had an interesting one with an organization there. It was it was before the summer hit and they kind of seen, they kind of got themselves through the pandemic and then they actually saw a number of their top performers take extended leave um, and they were trying to get in underneath it. And what they found was for them, their top performers were the best at being able to say, okay, we're in crisis mode. I'm going to re rework my day. So I'm going to like get up early and I'm going to do a couple hours now before the kids get up and I'll get the kids up and I'll get them, you know, often at the door of school and then I'll log back on and then I'll go do this and, you know, and then they'll come back in. So I'll be, but I'll be back on at eight o'clock and I'll do eight to midnight and, you know, it'll all be fine. Like I'll be able to work it all out and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and got themselves into a new rhythm that actually wasn't sustainable, but they, it kind of got them through but then it was too late by the time they realized well actually this like you know I can't I can't do this like I can't manage all of this and I don't know I don't know how to breathe I don't know how to step back I don't know how to my tell my manager I'm not not able to cope and defaulting to leave as opposed to having that conversation so you know it was a really interesting moment for them to be like okay 
those are the people who are delivering. So we want to make sure that they can deliver in a sustainable fashion. So how do we balance this idea of like performance and recovery and, you know, do all of that kind of stuff? We've done some really, really interesting work with them actually over the summer and um, where they had a bit of bandwidth time-wise to kind of like, you know, again, take that breath, be intentional and figure that out. Um, but you're so right. And, you know, again, I think burnout has become one of those buzzy words. Like I think we hear a lot about it. Um, but it is about organizations thinking, you know, like, who are the people sitting in our teams right now that we want to make sure are still sitting there next year or, you know, when the big project comes in and how is it that we we build our systems to make sure that they've got adequate support. And Gillian French, when she was on our podcast uh, a couple of months ago, talked about um, 98%, I think was the figure, or maybe it was 96%. I did. Yeah. I did. Research, yeah. Yeah, from the research that, uh, that they had done there. Oh, HR people are burned out. Now, look, we're burned out ourselves and we're working in unhealthy patterns and we're you know responsible for the health and the well-being of um the organization we really need to be asking ourselves some fundamental questions and a lot of a lot of hr people are putting in very serious hours in exactly the way that you describe fania you know um and being on uh, available and on call to the management team at at any hour of uh, the evening and you know I think organizations just don't think enough about the impact of that ping you know that feeling that you need to check your messages or your mobile or that one message from the CEO on a Sunday about something the CEO is worried about uh, to a HR person can just absolutely destroy somebody's free time and again it's you know how much of that do we really need to have very honest conversations about in our organizations because those things happen and it's not necessarily because you know management are cynical um and you know think that well look here I I, I need to speak to Fanny and it's Sunday um you know I'm just going to get this done and I'm going to send her an email with the big don't read until Monday uh, notice attached to it. And yeah, depending on your nature and your character, you might well open that. So it's like, can we do more with technology? Can we nudge managers to remind them that, you know, think twice, do you need to send this now? And and yeah, you see that on Microsoft, but it it's, you know, it's still happening all over the place. And so do we need to do more as an organization to protect people's health and well-being and, and um, their free time and whether it's WhatsApp groups or, you know, whether it's Facebook Messenger groups, whatever. Yeah, and I suppose that's the that's the kind of key question. It's the big one we always kind of finish on, Mary. It's, I suppose, what can HR teams and organizations do? I suppose it's a bit of a quick fire question and it's probably a tough one to answer. Welcome to yourself, Mary, first, and then maybe Fanny after. What can what kind of tips would you share with HR teams? Chat with Fania. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> Reach out. <laughs> Reach out and talk. Um, you know, it, it's as I always say, do your research, you know, look out your own window. Um, it's very easy in in HR role to focus in what's happening in your organization. And, you know, depending on how long you're in that organization, you, you, you can 
maybe not know what's going out there out there in the world so look outside the window see what's going on read the research uh, look at what other organizations you admire are doing um and you know speak to speak to people who can help um there are people out there that can help and that can help you you know come with the data uh, help you with an approach when you might not know yourself and um think about the health and the well-being of of your employees but not just in a you know how can we get everybody together and and have them run races or give them fruit snacks at home or send them you know healthy gifts or whatever it might be you know it's 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 really thinking about the employee experience the managers that you have the hours that people are actually working uh, so often organizations tell me that the they can't change it. <laughs> you know, they can't change the hours that people are working. Of course you can. You can do anything, anything you need to. Mm-hmm. And same question yourself, Fanny, any kind of overarching tips? Yeah, all of that. Um, and I would just say, focus on that holistic investment that you're making in somebody, right? So if you, uh, and again, I always think of this comment that we got very early on in the Healthy Best Work experience, which was our health and well-being offering helps the 5K runners run a quicker 5K right and you know that's always stuck with me so you know it's this piece of if you think about the impact that you're having on somebody's health and well-being in its broadest sense in the organization it's going to help you get strategic it's going to help you figure out the investment that you're actually making it's actually going to help you win budgets it's going to help you make you know better data-driven decisions um and ultimately create a you know a healthier work experience for for everybody to show up and do their best work absolutely and a huge part of the the work we do in the world of work, I suppose, is the employee experience. And there is quite a number of employees out there. So it is quite an important thing to do. So thank you, Mary and Fanya, for a very insightful discussion. Very practical. And we, we covered a lot. So delighted to get through through all, all the stuff we got through there. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic, as we mentioned. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at Inside HR. Thank you, Fania, and thank you, Mary. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.